Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am here with a special, fun, I I don't exactly know what to call it kind of episode. Um, it's I have a guest that I had on last year. Um, he has been a huge supporter of the Picky Bookworm, and he sent me signed books. Um, gotta love that. That's uh, my favorite. Favorite part about being friends with authors, I guess, is all the all signed books that I get. But um, Kenyon Gagne is um, a good friend of mine. We have been friends for a while. Um, like I said, he is a huge supporter of the Picky Bookworm. And when I started trying to decide what kind of episodes I wanted to do for December, since I only do three um during December, I take uh, the two weeks of Christmas and New Year's off. Um, I figured that a super fun episode, um, especially with Kenyon, would be to recommend some Christmas books for you guys. So um, on my part, I've only got like maybe that I've actually read, um, but I do have another couple uh, books that I have bought recently um, that I will probably add to the list. So um, we are, we're going to talk some Christmas books, but we're also going to talk just a lot of other things. Um, got you here for an hour. Um, you're stuck. So, <laughs> so we are going to have a good time chatting. Uh, we are going to have a good time recommending some books to you guys. And I will definitely um, include Kenyon's um, information in the show notes for you guys so that you can head over and support him as well. Um, so get ready to have a really good time. Grab your tea. Yeah. Grab your wine, grab your laundry, Caroline, and we're going to get started. Kenyon, it has been over a year, I think, since I've seen your face. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. So, um, but, you know, we we keep in touch as well as we can, and um, I I always get excited about uh, getting your your books in the mail. Um, I've got the first two in your trilogy, the Goners trilogy, and I am super excited for book three because I haven't even finished book one yet. I am. I know that it's going to end on a cliffhanger. Yes. And so when I wrote my review of it for my website, I hadn't even finished it yet. Um, I Book two hadn't been released yet. I knew book one was going to end on a cliffhanger. And I was protecting my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that was smart. Yeah, it does definitely end on a cliffhanger. So you, you, yeah, you saw it coming. Uh, yeah. Um, usually sci-fi dystopian books tend to do that. Um, so I, I think I've got maybe about a seventh of the, the book left. Um, they're, they're chonkers, um, guys. So they're super, super fun, um, though. And it's, <clears throat> it's rare to find a sci-fi book or a dystopian book. Um, it's not unheard of, but it is rare uh, to have more character driven rather than action driven and the the goners trilogy is very 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 much um character driven it is about their motivations it's you know behind things and it is about their reactions to what is happening around them it's not all about what's happening around them (laughs) it's it's more about them and and the the three main characters their their experiences um, as part of the meaningful conclusion program. Read the book to find out what it is. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not. I I had a, a conversation. You might have uh, listened to that episode, but I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago um, that I was talking about your book, and of course warned you not to drive off the road. Um, <laughs> but. And, you know, I just, I mentioned what it, what it was and I explained what it was. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to add the same trigger warning again to another episode. So I just kind of want to read the book. You'll, you'll find out or listen to that episode. That's fine too. So what it's the end of the day and I'm super, super chatty. So I'm going to have to shut up. Here no, that's good. So. Um, for people that are new to the show um, or did not listen to the previous episode that I did with you, real quick, just kind of give us a rundown of who you are and um, what what you write um, and your your favorite thing about the writing process. Okay. Well, my name, which uh, you got right. Uh, I've is, been is, practicing for a right? year. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> is, uh, is Kenyon Gagne. And, uh, I'm 54. I turned 54 yesterday. Happy um, birthday. Oh, thank you. Uh, I was originally born in New Hampshire, but uh, I've been living in South Carolina since 1986. So I'm pretty much a South Carolinian now. Uh, I live here with my wife and uh, two kids who are actually off to, off to college now. Um, yeah, I write, uh, like you said, sort of dystopian, but not necessarily dystopian uh, uh, futuristic sci-fi, um, and I've, I'm two books into a trilogy, as uh, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, my day job, I work as a butcher at Whole Foods, uh, but I don't talk about that much because uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it pays the bills, but it's a uh, you know not, yeah, uh, I, not my I calling. Didn't act, yeah, I didn't actually know what your what your day job was. Um, yeah, you you always just you know mentioned that you work for a, a big supermarket. So yeah, um, always been. so yeah, a butcher must be interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what is what is your favorite part about the books that you're writing and the and the process of writing the the character driven stories? Okay, well, uh, yeah, when you talk about them being character driven, uh, it reminds me that 
one of the one of the uh, books that influenced me to kind of take the leap into 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 writing a full length novel myself was The Hunger Games. Uh, and it's uh, I you know, my my wife's the middle school uh, teacher and uh, she reads a lot of young adult literature. And uh, I, she was so excited when she read those and uh, both my kids read them and like, OK, I, I, I got to read these. And I was uh, I mean, the, the plot is great. And everything, but the, uh, the the whole story is great. The world uh, Suzanne Collins builds is great. But what I took away from those books was just uh, how much an author could make me care about a character, and how much how effectively uh, she put me in uh, Katniss Everdeen's head, and uh, uh, how uh, how I was along that that whole journey right inside her head. You know, the first person. Uh, uh, tone and everything, which I, I did not, you know, I did not try to imitate that, but just the emotional weight of those books was kind of what uh, pushed me into thinking that uh, that I wanted to to create that kind of a feeling in a reader. And uh, yeah, my favorite my favorite part of the process is uh, is it's like putting a puzzle together when you uh, when you write a book especially when you're talking about a uh, long epic book because you start out with uh, little bits and pieces uh, and you know you know how it wants to you know how the story starts you know how you want it to end and you know little bits uh, along the way and it's fun to just uh, start to put the pieces in place uh, and uh, so much of it eventually starts to fill in naturally that it feels more like a uh, a story that you're uh, uh, that was meant to be from the beginning. <laughs> you know, it feels like something natural. Uh, yes, I, I really enjoy the process of just kind of piecing it all together. And that's where I am uh, uh, with book book three. I'm at that that uh, the beginning phases where uh, I'm, I'm excited about every aspect of it, but I. Uh, I, I know where it starts, I know where it ends, and I know a lot of the, the stepping stones along the way, but uh, I've got some key ones I have to figure out before I can uh, get get down and dirty with the writing. Well, I I am excited for book three, because um, then I, you know, I, I want to wait until I get book three to finish the trilogy. And, you know, so I'm like, I haven't even finished book one yet. I'm like, but I need book three so that I can right. finish the books, you know, because my my friend Marcus, um, I think you uh, heard my podcast episode with Marcus Lee. Um, he wrote a trilogy recently and um, the Mountain of Souls, um, the Chosen trilogy. And he, um, you know, his process is when he writes a trilogy, he'll write the whole thing um, before he even sends it to betas or editors or, or anything. He writes the entire thing. And so he had the whole trilogy done and sent book one to me for for beta reading. And I remember telling my husband that you know I was about halfway through the book and you know you as an author you you know the value of having beta readers and you know the value of getting the the positive feedback as well as the negative you know the I really really loved this part 
versus this part could use a little bit of work, you know? And so I, I remember reading through the book and I got about halfway through and I told my husband and I was almost in tears. I was so upset because I told him, I said, I can't find anything negative to say about this book. <laughs> yeah, I remember you uh, remember you saying that. <laughs> I was like, I loved this book so much. And when I got to the end of book one, I immediately emailed him and, you know, asked him, I was like, do you have book two and three? And he was like, well, they're not edited. He was like, they're like rough. And I was like, I don't care. I was like, I want to know what happens. Gotta have them. <laughs> I, I need them. And so he sent me like, you know, advanced, advanced copies, like non-edited um, word docs of his books. And I downloaded them on my tablet and devoured them in like three days. Um, and That's awesome. it was, they were so good. And yours are like that. You and know, I did, I did not realize, uh, I did not realize till I got into this process, how many readers are like you in that regard uh, and won't start a series uh, until it's complete. Because uh, I'm not that way as a reader. I, uh, if I read uh, the first book in a series, I deliberately uh, go a different direction for my next book and kind of, you know, uh, I, I, I don't, I, it, partly because it takes me so long to read a book. Uh, that I don't want to spend an entire year uh, reading the same the same kind of writing, but yeah, uh, th there are a lot of people like you in that regard who, yeah. Who, uh, well, and I I learned my lesson the hard way um, because I I remember um, the House of Night series by PC and Kristen cast. Um, they are, PC is a, or was, um, she may be full-time author by now, but at the time that she wrote these books, she was a teacher in a suburb of Tulsa where I live. And she and her daughter decided to write these, this series of books called the House of Night books set here in Tulsa. And there's a, um, a Catholic school. Um, I don't remember if it's a boarding school or not. Um, I, but I, I don't know much about it. Um, but it is a Catholic school here in Tulsa. It's called Casha Hall. And they basically wrote this book as if Casha Hall got sold to vampires. And the the vampire mythology behind, you know, in the in the book is all biology. Like you you have like a specific gene that kicks off when you're about 15 or 16, um, and you, um, in order to not die, because um, you start to feel more and more and more like crap, and in order to survive, basically you have to go to the house of night, um, which is that the boarding school. And because kids who are going through the change into full fledged, um, vampirism, they have to be around, um, grown up vampires. And so during the, the change, it's usually about four years. Some kids don't make it through the change, um, and die, but others do make it to, through the change and um, become full vampires. 
And so as it, you know, when I was reading this series, I grew up in Tulsa. So, you know, the various things that they would mention, you know, like little cities or, you know, very, you know, little areas here in town, they were familiar to me. And so it was super cool to read this book from, you know, this fantastical perspective. Got through book, it's a 12 book series. And I think I got through like book four or five. And I had gotten them from the library, I think. And when I got to the end of book five, it was like cliffhanger. So I go and look for book, the next book in the series, and it won't be out for a year. A year. (laughs) And I was like, oh, to heck with that. And I waited, waited to finish the series. I'm not sure I've, I've actually completely finished the series. I know I've gotten really close, but I now own all 12 in one omnibus. So I don't have to worry about that ever again. Wow. But, you know, I, I get so frustrated. And then there was another series that I read earlier this year, and I'm sure you've heard about it. Um, you, you listen to every episode of this podcast. So I know you've heard the story of the shadow hunters, um, saga, not shadow yes. hunters, shadow demons saga. Um, I write, name the right books. Um, and you know, got to the end of book 11 oh, by the way, there's another book, but I don't know when it's coming out. So mad. I'm, oh, it's, it's been like eight months and I'm still so salty about that. Um, but, you know, so I've learned my lesson the hard way. And I just, you know, when it's a series that I really like and when it's characters that I really like, I want to stick with them. And I, you know, and I want to hang out with them for as long as possible. And, when something happens that I can't, then I I get really upset. And so I, you know, for the sake of my mental well-being, <laughs> I, I have to protect it and, you know, do what I can to um, be nice to that side of my personality so that I don't start throwing things across the room <laughs> when my book 11 ends on a cliffhanger. Um, so... Okay, we we are like 18 minutes into this episode, and we haven't once mentioned a Christmas book, um, but that's okay. So, because um, I'm hoping that people buy your books uh, for the the book lovers in their um, in their families and in their lives. Um, the the paperbacks are you know pretty chunky, but the the Kindle books aren't too expensive. Um, yeah. So. Um, be sure to grab those um, for anybody in your life who loves sci-fi. Uh, that's basically um, the the only criteria that you need in order to enjoy these books is that you like sci-fi. Um, if and you, you must like, be able to lift more more than ten pounds. <laughs> <laughs> no. Or your no, Kindle. Um, no, yeah, you need big. to be able to lift your Kindle. Um, but they, yeah, they are, are really, really good books. Um, and I, I definitely recommend them. Um, and so yeah, buy them for, um, for people for Christmas. I, Amazon has prime shipping you guys. So, um, you can get them in like a couple of days, you know, right. I mean, it's, 
only the beginning of December, um, middle of December, approximately. You still got like 10 days. I got yeah, plenty of time to get them ordered. Plenty so, yeah, plenty of time. Um, okay, so hit us with your first Christmas book recommendation, Kenyon. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm obsessed with A Christmas Carol. By, Char by Charles Dickens. Not surprised. Yeah. I think everybody is. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, uh, I think uh, everybody knows the story and there's been a thousand movies and little variations of the story. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, uh, everybody knows the basic, uh, you got your miser the, visited by uh, you know, the, the, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Uh, and it's a great story, but uh, the, the reason I'm obsessed with it is because the the writing is, it, to me, it's the most beautiful thing written in the English language. Uh, I know that's uh, a big statement, <laughs> but it's uh, Charles Dickens, uh, you know, it, he's got such a a playful, like, writing style, and it's, it's beautiful, but he's so, like, uh, there's so much joy and energy in his writing that it doesn't come across as like pretentious or highbrow it's just it's just funny uh, yeah. and and really touching when he wants to when he wants to make it uh, touching and so uh, uh, even above and beyond that there's a, a recording uh, of a Christmas Carol read by John Gielgud and I don't know if you know John Gielgud the actor no, he's uh, yeah. Well, he's uh, uh, he was one of these uh, old austere like uh, British actors with the ah. you know the beautiful enunciation and everything. But uh, he has a version of it, uh, an audiobook that uh, I swear I listen to like every Christmas season like twenty times, like start to finish, because it's just so uh, it's it's like music to my ears. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I love Christmas Carol and the you know the, the messages that we that everybody knows from the from the story uh, from the, whatever iteration you've seen it in uh, those messages messages are so much more poignant uh, in the like original beautiful writing. So yeah, love it. So, what is your aside? from the Muppets, <laughs> what is your favorite Christmas Carol movie adaptation? Well, you cannot you say can't. a Muppet Christmas Carol. You have to pick <laughs> something else. Why'd you take away the best one off the top? <laughs> because it's everyone's favorites. Okay. Um, the uh, the Jim, uh, Jim Carrey one they put out, uh, the animated one a few years ago uh, is really good. And I forget. If they did, is it just called Carol? What is that one called? I can't remember what that one's called. It's called Christmas Carol. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I think so. Yeah. It's, that one. I'll I'll look up a link on Amazon and and put a link um for everybody um yeah so you can you can maybe grab it on Prime or something. Uh, that one's really good. And they uh, a few years ago they put out um, one called uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, which is uh, a movie about Charles Dickens writing the book, uh, which was a whole, it's a whole uh, story in itself. Uh, you know, he had had a, uh, I think he had his first big uh, 
publication uh, in like 1839, and he had some some great success right off the bat, but then kind of hit a slump. Had some books that kind of uh, didn't do well, and I think he was uh, somewhat of a uh, big spender. Didn't pay a lot of attention to money, so he was in some financial trouble, uh, and was being pressed for a new book by his publishers, and uh, and came up with the idea like. Uh, late in the year for a Christmas Carol, and uh, uh, it's about the, the movie, is the true story about him uh, pulling together this this book in a big rush, uh, and like pouring everything he had into it emotionally, financially, uh, and what a like grand like overnight success it was. So that's called the Man Who Invented Christmas, and it star. I can't remember the name of the actor. He's uh, uh, from Downton Abbey. I think he plays Matthew on Downton Abbey, but he does a good job as uh, as Charles Dickens. Yeah, I I never watched Downton Abbey, so I oh, have really? absolutely <laughs> no clue. Um, yeah, I think the closest that I ever came to like a historical fictional um, movie uh, was the uh, Kate Winslet's uh, Sense and Sensibility. And mm -hmm. because I love her. And yeah. so, you know, and um, Alan Rickman. Oh, Alan wow. Rickman, I almost yeah. called him Hugh. I don't even know why. Um, <laughs> Alan Rickman, um, Emma Thompson. Um, and there were like several oh, other yeah. just like well-known um, Hugh Grant. Maybe that's where the, the Hugh came from. Hugh Grant was in it. Um and you know, I, I loved that movie and but I'm not a huge fan of like the historical um, fiction genre I I just don't get into it very often so um that's I love that's those movies closest. but yeah I don't watch Downton Abbey um can't I, I can't really force myself to get into that so <laughs> um but um my I will throw out my favorite uh, Christmas Carol adaptation. Um, it was a TV movie um, starring Susan Lucci as Ebby, Elizabeth Scrooge. Okay. So it was it was a, a gender swap uh, type, um, and she ran a department store and. Um, when her assistant um, wanted to take Christmas off, um, she, you know, basically told her assistant, you can't have Christmas Day off. We have to prepare for, you know, the biggest shopping day of the year. So you have to be here and you have to work. And so, you know, she's heading to her office or, you know, heading home or something. And she's visited by her you know old partner um when running this department store and he of course has died and he's letting her know that you know something's got to change and you know it's just that basic you know christmas carol premise that we are also familiar with i won't go into too much of it but it's the um it's that gender gender swap um and with susan lucci so it is available for DV on DVD um, on Amazon, um, and I think the last time I watched it, I watched it on like VHS. <laughs> and that reminds me, uh, my other 
favorite adaptation would be Scrooge, uh, the, the Bill, Bill Murray. Uh, I knew you were going to say that one too. Yeah. I did. I knew you were going to say that one. Um, I expected you to say that one instead of uh, the Jim Carrey. Well, that one, that one's really good. But uh, my only gripe with that one is uh, I, I love Bill Murray. I think he's hilarious, but he's like so sarcastic that the big, uh, the, the big personality turnaround at the end is kind of hard to buy because you know it, uh, it, it, it's hard to view Bill Murray as uh, as uh, suddenly not being a, a sarcastic, uh, yeah, smart. Yeah. Ben, ben Stiller, I I would. Um... I would see it in that type of character. Bill Murray, not so much. Yeah. I, I still think of him as Bob <laughs> from What About Bob? Um, I can't really see him as, as anything other than the, the lovable, anxious, paranoid yeah. um, guy with the fish. Um, so, um, okay, well, we are, um, we're going to take a, a quick break. Um, For station identification. I'm sorry? <laughs> For station identification. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're on the Picky Book One podcast. Um, so I, um, we are going to be right back. I'm, I'm having to use um, Skype online, and I think that it only records 30 minutes at a time. Uh, so I want to make sure that we don't get cut off in the middle of the conversation. Um, so I am... Um, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You may or may not get a quick message from me, but um, I will decide that before I finish the episode. So we'll, we'll be right back, guys. Hey, everybody, we are back. And um, OK, so you have recommended um, your all time favorite Christmas book. Um, I. I haven't really read very many Christmas themed books recently. Um, I did last year. Um, it was a book that um, we read for the final episode of the Golden Girls Book Club um, podcast episodes that we did. And it was the, the Santa Claus Agreement by... I'm blanking on the author's name. Um, it's the Santa Claus Agreement. Um, I'm going to have to look up the name and um, remind you guys, um, Derek McFarland. Ha. Oh, um, yeah. Knew it was going to, knew it was going to pop in my head. Uh, Derek McFarland. I, see, and now I'm, now I'm worried that's not the right name. Um, I am so sorry if I, um, got my got my authors mixed up but I will look up the the author's name and make sure that I um, get it correct for you guys um, but it is a it's an adorable um, hold on I can't type and talk at the same time um Eric McFadden oh so okay. close Okay, so I had the first name right. I did not have the last name right. Derek McFadden, um, which is really sad because I've had him on the podcast. But um, I'm terrible with last names um, for whatever reason. But it's the the basic premise is there's a young man. His name is Dave, and he has I want to say cerebral palsy, and Let's see, I'm just going to read the, the blurb um, real quick. 
What's a boy to do when Santa Claus lets him down? He strikes an agreement. When he was seven, Davy Boyd asked Santa for just one Christmas present. Please make me normal. Because Davy had always believed, always known, Santa could do anything. Until Santa didn't. Because even Santa couldn't. Instead, Santa and Davy struck an agreement. Now, 48-year-old David Boyd's time as a mall Santa Claus ends. He loves the kids, the magic, the season, but it's time. It's not the cerebral palsy he has learned to live with, bringing this time to a close. It's not the heartbreaking ending of his relationship. No, it's time to begin the agreement he made 40 years before. So tonight, Davy is going to tell the kids who have gathered what happened that night 40 years ago when he was whisked away to the North Pole. It's his last chance before the agreement is due to come into effect. Well, that is, if one small detail doesn't void the whole thing. But there might be an elf, a cute one, who can help, if only Davy can truly see her before it's too late. A holiday fable chock full of magic, whimsy, and heart the Santa Claus Agreement chronicles the adventure of a boy destined for a magical experience if, all grown up, he can keep his end of the bargain. Ooh, sounds good. It's so good. It was um, it was hard to put down. Um, I think I read it in like maybe a day and a half um, because not only is it like an easy read, it's not... I mean, it's not horribly long. I think it's 287 pages. It's less than three, 300 pages long. And it's just, it's amazing. Um, but basically, um, Davy, when he was seven, he asked Santa to basically to cure his cerebral palsy. And because there was just so much that he couldn't do and phys like physically could not do he couldn't keep up with his big brother and his you know there were just a lot of things that that he had to be slow for and um he wanted or no it was his little brother not his big brother his little brother because he was the older one and when his little brother was born they his parents basically spoiled him and you know Davy just kind of moved to the background because he wasn't normal like his little brother was and you know he just kind of saw them as you know well you got your second chance at having a normal kid mm. I'm no longer important and just kind of you know faded into the background of his own life and so when he when he asked Santa to make him normal he wanted to be the big brother that his little brother deserved. That was his main motivation. Oh, wow. But, you know, of course, you know, we all know there are some things that even Santa can't do. And um, so he, when he woke up on Christmas morning um, and was not cured, that kind of killed his belief in Santa. And I believe it was the year following, the next year, 
was when he had his trip to the North Pole. Santa came in and got him and took him to the North Pole and, you know, explained to him why. And, you know, just basically told him, you know, even Santa can't do everything and, you know, just kind of, you know, built this relationship with Davy. And, you know, so, of course, 40 years later, I'm not going to spoil too much of um, of the story, but um, it's the, you know, when Derek stated in the blurb that it's full of whimsy and heart, He's not kidding. I mean, it's a very whimsical story. It kind of gives me like Polar Express vibes a little bit. Um, yeah, I can see not, that. But not quite. Like it's there's not enough of it there for you to feel like it's a knockoff. Um, there's a little bit of um, like Tim Allen's uh, Santa Claus. Um, there's a little bit of that vibe there. But again, not enough for you to feel like it's a knockoff. Like it's he, it feels like he took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places. But that's all it was. It was inspiration. It's a very unique, very original story, and it's absolutely beautiful. So if you need a cute, adorable Christmas Eve read that you can just sit down and read with your family. That's the one that I would say you need to sit down and during this season, especially, and just, you know, recreate some of that Christmas magic that we all love so much. Yeah, it sounds like a super interesting uh, dynamic that I never uh, would have thought of uh, about the seven-year-old kid with uh, special needs, having a younger sibling coming along who uh, who is uh, doesn't have special needs and... Uh, and then having to having to worry about uh, whether you know that that new kid is the you know is uh, the, the, the answer to the, yeah, yeah the, the answer to the parents' uh, prayers you know yeah it's yeah and um, if I remember correctly I haven't talked to Derek in a while but if I remember correctly part of it was actually taken from like his own life like he has cerebral palsy um, it's a um, a milder form than what um what we may be used to seeing um you know when I when I think of cerebral palsy I remember this little girl that I used to go to church with um that she was like five years old in a wheelchair super tiny not verbal um you know because she has cerebral palsy and so it's it's very much a, a spectrum it's you know some people just have you know, one leg affected, whereas, you know, other people have almost their entire brain. So it's very much a a spectrum. Um, And, you know, Davy's form, I believe, just affected like one of his legs and um, gave him a limp and just basically made him slower um, than, than people around him. And he... Um, there were some, some points during the book that he's telling his story, um, to these kids at the mall. And, um, he mentions that, uh, one of his coworkers just has worked with him long enough that she knows, um, when to tell the kids that he, that Santa needs a break and, you know, let him go and, and 
walk around a little bit and, and loosen up his legs. And so it's, um, you know, it's definitely a, a unique take on the, the Santa story. Um, I, I would say Santa mythology, but um, I don't want to ruin the magic uh, for yeah. any kids who may be listening. Um, yeah, that's a reality. But um, I don't remember if, I don't think it had like much bad language in it at all. I mean, I would definitely say if you've got kids, um, I would say eight and above, um, probably younger than that, wouldn't really understand, but I would say probably eight and above. This would be a good story to just sit and read to them on on Christmas Eve and you know or the week leading up to Christmas <laughs> you yeah. don't have to read a whole book in like three hours but um but yeah it's it's adorable and um probably probably one of my favorite Christmas stories um, okay that I've that I've read recently so um I I hope you I hope you go grab it and I uh, yeah you, I will I hope you go read it. Um, you'll have to email me and, and tell me what you think of it. The Santa Claus Agreement, right? The Santa Claus Agreement, yes, by okay. Derek McFadden. Um, I, I actually have it open, so I can send you um, an affiliate link if you want. Um, okay. It's not yeah. very much on Kindle. It's, um, let's see, uh, $4.99 right now. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's not much on not much on Kindle. So. Um, and I could use the um, use the commission. So um, anybody who's willing to support the Piggy Bookworm um, at no extra cost, um, I'm always um, always able and, and willing to send affiliate links out uh, for stuff. So um, anyway, so what is another Christmas book recommendation that you have, or is that the only one? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I really haven't read that many uh, that many Christmas books. Uh, um, I did finish a really good uh, 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 indie book recently. Oh, sure. Yeah. Hit us yeah. with it. Yeah. It's called uh, Lost at Thaxton by Michael E. Jones, and I got to meet the author. I was on a panel with him. Uh, he's a, another uh, Greenville, South Carolina native. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, super nice guy, and. Um, he wrote this book. It's about a, and I know it's not, yeah, we're, we're going to delve back into history again here, but yeah, this one is about a, a, uh, a terrible train wreck in Virginia in 1889. And uh, the author, Michael E. Jones, uh, had never heard his family, uh, his great, great grandfather or great, great, great grandfather was the section master uh, for that section of, uh, of railroad at the time and uh, Michael Jones had grown up and never heard this story. And somebody casually mentioned about this terrible train wreck. So he did uh, extensive research about it and wrote a, a beautiful book. Uh, again, it's called Lost at Thaxton. And what I found really good about it uh, and really interesting was that uh, he, uh, I forget how many passengers there were on the train, but he, I mean, he researched every one of these people uh, and so it it reads at the beginning like uh almost like a like a uh, a who uh, who done it where uh he's profiling each passenger and uh this guy is the the uh postal clerk's assistant who is due to be married the very next day 
these three ladies are uh, hat designers on their way to New York. Um, you know, there's the traveling minister, uh, the freed slave. Um, uh, so it, and it, as you're reading all these profiles, you have no idea who is going to survive this, this wreck, you know, is coming and who's, who's not going to make it. Uh, he does a really good job with that and getting you invested in these people. And then the wreck itself is so chaotic that he, uh, he does a great job of, uh, kind of laying out the details of what happened when and how different, how people reacted differently and uh, who, you know, who was every man for himself and who, uh, you know, uh, went back into the wreckage to try to save other people. But yeah, it's a great story. That sounds, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I, um, I watched a, um, your, your mention of a train, um, yeah. total random association. Um, but I watched, um, the uh, murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. The uh, the newer one that they did, um, and then watched uh, Death on the Nile, and tried to watch A Haunting in Venice. Um, they are all three, I believe, available on Hulu. Could be wrong on that. Um, but I believe it was Hulu that I watched them on. Um, tried to watch A Haunting in Venice, but I'm not a big enough fan of Tina Fey. She's in um, a haunting uh-huh. and um i i couldn't i couldn't get past her character um but the um murder on the orient express i had been wanting to uh, watch it for a long time and finally saw it on hulu and um basically made my husband watch it with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I- had a great time with it it was great yeah, we saw all three of those. I actually liked Haunting in Venice, uh, best of the three. But I, I also, uh, we're, we're big fans of Tina Fey, so. But I can see yeah, if, if there's, a, if there's an actor or an actress that you just can't uh, can't vibe with, it, 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 can, it can affect your uh, enjoyment of a movie. Well, and it's, I like Tina Fey in, like, certain characters. Um, you know, like, the their sarcastic teacher um, from Mean Girls. Um, I loved her in that character. Um, But, you know, there are just some characters that you're like, that actor should not play that character. They just shouldn't. Mm. It needs to be a different actor. And, you know, I, I struggle with some producers casting choices. Um, A lot of times I'll be like, oh, this casting is horrible. The movie's good, but the casting is horrible. Um, the Hunger sometimes Games, they nail it, yeah. Yeah, the Hunger Games movies uh, was one of those for me. I thought PETA's um, casting was absolutely horrendous. Um, Josh Hutcherson grew on me after a while, but I still don't see him as PETA. Um, I, I I can, I can handle him in the movie and I can enjoy the movie now, but I, he's not PETA to me. He's just not. So, you know, I, I envision a, you know, because he was the Baker's son and he was described in the book as being a little bit pudgy. I envision like a nice version of the Harry's cousin from the Harry Potter movies, Dudley. Oh, Vernon. The, the actor who played <laughs> okay. Dudley. 
I, I envision like a nice version of that um, in my head. And so, you know, I mean, he was Baker's kid and the Baker pretty much had the lock on most of the, the sales in this particular district. And so, you know, they were more wealthy than a lot of the other, you know, people that lived there. And so he, you know, was able to eat pretty well. And so Josh Hutcherson to me was just not good casting, you know. Um, I like him, but I, I I can't remember how I pictured him uh, when I read the books. So uh, he he didn't he definitely didn't conflict uh, with my vision too much. I don't think. Well, and and he really didn't for a lot of people. Um, most people's uh, complaints were actually with Jennifer Lawrence, um, her casting as Katniss. Um, they thought that she was too fat. That's ridiculous. It, well, I, it I was mean... absolutely ridiculous because first of all, she's not fat. Um, and she never has been, she, she's a little bit curvier than what I would expect someone who's basically starved, um, their entire life. Um, but at the same time, Katniss also spent a lot of time hunting and, you know, was able to eat more protein than maybe other people in her district. And so, you know, I, I didn't think that was. Physically, I didn't think that that was bad casting. Um, I I didn't think that she necessarily pulled off the Katniss character as well as what I would have expected. Um, but the you know the judgment that so many women and especially women in Hollywood go through. Um, just based on their body type and based on yeah. their, on, you know, the number on the scale. Um, it's ridiculous. And, you know, so I was just like, I may have struggled with her in that character, but that's not why. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though based on the, their living conditions, it might've been reasonable to expect her to, to be, uh, you know, scrawny or whatever. Uh, or scrawnier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you if you put a scrawny actress in there, then it uh, it it might have not I don't know it uh, uh, I don't know it, I, I I I I like the choice of uh, of Jennifer Lawrence in there. Well, I, to... I you know again she grew on me um, and you know I I can kind of accept her now. If I had if I had ever envisioned someone, I think I would have envisioned someone like Danielle Panabaker. In, in that character, someone who is a little bit scrawnier, um, yeah. for lack of a better phrase, um, but also has like that muscle and that ability to to handle herself. And, you know, because if you've ever seen her in The Flash, you know, girl can handle herself, you know. And yeah. so I guess, the, the, I guess the point I was uh, trying to make, and I would make, uh, is that I think Katniss Everdeen such an incredible like role model uh that uh for d- d- you'd want uh young people to to, to watch uh how she c- uh, carries herself and uh and emulate uh, uh how she stands up and t- for herself and other people in certain situations you'd want them to watch that without also feeling like they had to they had to uh 
be a hundred pounds or less <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to be a, yeah. the perfect, to be the perfect woman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we get, we get thrown that kind of crap all the time. Yes. You know, we see it everywhere and it's, you know, I am all about the body positivity and I am all about the individualism and, you know, you do you boo. It's, you know, mm-hmm. just, and just seeing what society tells people that, you know, this is how you have to look and this is, you know, the way you have to carry yourself and, you know, not everybody's like that. We are, you know, the world is a diverse place for a mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> there is yeah. a reason that we are all different. Mm-hmm. Um, so stop trying to fit us in your mold. Um, but, um, okay, so we've got about seven minutes left, um, I guess. And um, I am, I'm real quick going to throw a, a shout out to um, to another Christmas book um, from okay. Emily Holland. Um, it's called Christmas at the Vintage Bookshop of Memories. Um, and it's the, it's a sequel actually to her, um, I want to say it was her debut, um, the Vintage Bookshop of Memories. And it's um, set at Christmas. There's a wedding, not going to say too much, um, but the, um, the Christmas at the bookshop of the vintage bookshop of memories is um, centered around the best friend of the main character from the first book. Um, so it's, um, I have reviews uh, for both books um, on my website. I will link to those. Um, in the show notes for everybody. Um, but Christmas at the Bookshop of Memories, it's a it's a very sweet love story and it's a very sweet romance. Um, there's, I don't remember that there's a whole lot of language or anything like that. Um, it's, and it's not very long. I think it's like 150 pages maybe. If that, it's, it's not very long. But it's a really sweet story, um, and so I definitely recommend um, that you read the first one, um, so that the second one doesn't spoil too much. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I've been aware of those books, but I haven't uh, haven't read them yet. The Vintage Bookshop of Memories and Christmas at the Vintage Book Bookshop of Memories. Yes. Yeah, they sound yeah. they sound they sound great, but I. They're, they're very sweet love stories. Um, they're just very sweet romances. I, um, I don't read a whole lot of romance, um, but Liz had, um, asked me to review, um, vintage and, um, had sent me a PDF of it, I think. Um, and I read it in like a day. It was, I mean, it's not very long and, um, it's the, I mean, that's honestly just the, the thing that I say about it is just, it's a very sweet story. And if you've ever met Liz Holland, if you've ever talked to her, um, she's, she goes by Elizabeth Holland. Um, but I got permission from her a long time ago to call her Liz. Uh, <laughs> but, um, if you've ever met her, if you've ever talked to her, um, online, you know, exactly where this story came from. Like it's, it's so easy to see, just her 
soul, like in this book. Okay. I mean, she is just, she's such a sweet, sweet, sweet human being. Um, And I, I've asked her several times actually to be on the podcast, but she, um, she gets anxious um, in situations like this. And I would never want to do that to her. Um, And I would never want to, um, make her anxious or, or trigger her in, in any way. Um, but that, um, that is my, um, probably my one on my podcast bucket list would be to, um, to be able to get her, um, on here and, and talk for a little while, but, um, but it's okay. Even if she never makes it, I will still talk about her books. Um, yeah. because she's adorable. Um, haven't talked to her in a while. I need to leave a message her and say hi, but um, anyway, so we are almost out of time. Can you believe it's been almost an hour? Wow. <laughs> um, okay, so we have recommended a ton of books to you guys, um, dear listeners and dear friends. So I hope that you... Um, Go purchase all of them. Um, and even if you don't purchase all of them, purchase one. Pick one on the list um, and purchase review um, for the author. Um, I do believe, other than A Christmas Carol, I want to say all the books that we um, talked about were either self published or indie published. Um, so you are supporting some amazing authors um, through your purchases and um, they live on reviews. Um, their, their books thrive on them. So if you do buy um, any of the books that we talked about and mentioned and recommended, please go leave a review um, and leave a comment on the show notes, uh, letting Kenyon and we both um, know which ones you bought and um, why you why you chose to buy them? So uh, we would we would love to hear from you. And um, any comments that you leave, I will make sure to pass along to Kenyon uh, so that he can see them too. Um, but other than that, I am so happy that you were able to uh, make time in your busy schedule. Um, oh, a blast to to come and chat about books and life and all that stuff so um we we had to make time we recorded on a thursday evening (laughs) um and i it's eight o'clock my time and i still got things to go do um before i can go to bed so i I appreciate it um i'm gonna get off here um but again thank you uh so much kenyon for coming and uh, chatting with me uh, we'll get this episode published this weekend for everybody well thank you for having me yeah absolutely i'll have to do it again sooner than a year yes, and a half. yeah <laughs> yes i will talk to you soon kenyon have a okay. great evening all right you too bye pam bye